everybody. My name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Soma. Pray with me, if you will, real quick. Dear Jesus, please help me. Amen. That's about all I got today, guys. This morning, we're going to dive into the weighty theological topic of why I wear baseball jerseys when I preach. This is not exactly what we're going to talk about this morning, but this is not entirely unrelated. I cherry-picked this passage today, to be honest, as we laid out the book of Acts. As you guys know, we've been working through the book of Acts, which is really the acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles and in the world, right? As we've been studying God's role in spreading his name, his fame to all nations, in expanding the borders of the kingdom of God to men and women and children in every tongue, race, culture, nation across the globe. We've been studying Paul in the most recent weeks and his missionary journeys and what he's been doing. And as we laid out on a spreadsheet, you know, which weeks we're going to be which passage, when I saw uh, Acts chapter 20, which I will at some point this morning call Ephesians 20, and you'll understand why in a minute, Uh, When I saw Acts 20, I immediately put my name down next to it because this is one of the most defining and important passages in my life. This is a passage that when I read it and dug into it as a young man, shaped and formed what I think about what I'm supposed to be doing in the world, how I want to live, what kind of person I want to be. And of course as it would happen whenever you're going to teach on a passage that's incredibly personal um, and deeply meaningful to you, then it it was just like an insanely terrible week, like really bad, bad on every possible level. We've talked about the societal things that have happened, Um, just personal stuff, just spiritual attack, as Bobby talked about last week, every kind of bad thing possible. So all week long, I have been really wrestling with how to preach this text, this passage, and give you guys uh, solid teaching from the word without this becoming some kind of personal argument with myself uh, about me, um, about my humanness or my ministry. And I want to make it really clear this morning. One of the reasons why I picked this passage originally is because it is about how do you shepherd God's people. It's about what we should expect out of our pastors, out of our elders. And one of the reasons why I wanted to preach it is because I love Bobby and Andrew. And especially for Bobby, it's really weird when you uh, make your living from preaching, which I don't. It's really weird to preach a passage about being a pastor when that's your job. And so I wanted to give him that cover this morning. And... I also wanted the chance to explain and to teach a little bit more as to why we do some of the things we do. And it's become clear in the last couple of years that we've needed more teaching, more clarity on what our elders and pastors do and what we don't do. Um, We've had a lot of questions and criticisms through the years, which is totally normal. Like, nothing I'm about to say is like, oh, no, people feel bad for us because people said bad things. It's not really like that, first of all. (laughs) Secondly, that's super normal, and if you're not ready to have people question what you're doing, don't stand up in front of anyone because they're going to question what you do. 
Third, it's good and right and proper for people to question what you do. That's how we learn and grow. And so no one should be discouraged by some of the, some of the questions that we get. That's good. We're happy to answer those questions. But it has been clear that there are some pre-baked in ideas that we come together. Because m- most of us have history with church history with churches, history with the faith that predates our time together at Soma. And we have a lot of expectations about what, it, what being in uh, pastoral ministry means and what to expect of people. And so people bring a lot of their weight and a lot of their baggage to the table. And we got to unpack that together. So all that said, in the, in the past few years, we've had people uh, come and very intensely question things like, why don't we make the Sunday morning sermon the centerpiece of our ministry? I say, why isn't the Sunday morning sermon the centerpiece of your ministry? People will come and they'll say, why do you guys talk about race so much? Why do you talk about race so little? Why do you let women preach? Why don't you let women preach? Why are you guys so liberal? Why are you guys so conservative? I kid you not. I, these are not straw men. These are legitimate. Like, I've had every one of these things said. And if your head starts to spin, mine does too sometimes. And, and one of my favorites was, why don't you write more white papers? Why don't you write more papers? And white paper is like a position paper document laying out like a theological position. Why aren't you guys writing more? Why don't you write more stuff like that? And again, it's not the, I'm not trying to make fun of any of these questions I'm just trying to say people come with all of this baggage. So this morning, I don't want to get into any sort of defense of my own life, my own ministry. And I'm really, I'm much happier to defend Bobby and Andrew's ministries. But I don't need to because you guys are the defense of our ministry. That's the bottom line. And I realize that that is true. Anything that I have to say about anything that we do, I would just point back at you guys and just say, hey, this is it. The good work that God does in our people, that's the defense of our ministry. So this morning, when we get into Acts chapter 20 and what Paul lays out, I hope you can see us in this passage. That's my hope. And if not, then uh, that's another good list of things that you can rightly come back at us and say, you guys don't do this well enough, because these are the things that we're aiming at. I remember when, (laughs) when I was in seminary, And while I'm telling the story, you can flip to Acts chapter 20, uh, starting in verse 15. While you're flipping there or thumbing there, um, when I was in seminary, we had to uh, do this like final presentation over a passage. And uh, it was this 20-page, single-spaced Greek Greek thesis. And I had Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, which is about elder qualifications. And my professor had said to us, you have to come dressed in a shirt and tie. Like you, have to, you have to come looking like a professional because pastors should be professionals like doctors or lawyers. So I get up there and I'm presenting Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, which is all about uh, the quality of life that uh, men should live in order to be qualified as elders. And in the middle of, <laughs> in the middle of my, uh, my presentation, I start loosening my tie. I take off my tie. I throw my tie on the ground, and I said, this, nothing in this passage says anything about wearing a tie. I go on, share a couple more verses, start unbuttoning my, my white-collar shirt, 
take it off, throw it on the ground. I said, nothing about this passage says anything about wearing a white-collar shirt. And uh, they almost threw me out. They didn't, but for true story, they almost did. The, my point this morning is that the qualities that we are looking for in our pastors are the same qualities that Jesus demonstrated, and they're the same qualities that we all have to live out. And I'll walk you through what those are in just a second. But as we pick up the scene now in Acts chapter 20, Paul has been prompted by the Spirit of God to head back to Jerusalem. He's been out traveling around, preaching the word, uh, hardships, uh, miracles, beatings, imprisonments, new churches being planted, all the things that we've been talking about the last few weeks, right? So Paul, suddenly the Spirit's like, Paul, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to get there by the day of Pentecost. And by the way, it's going to go badly. Paul knows this, and he's going to lay it out. And, he, and all the way through this trip back to Jerusalem, the Spirit keeps letting him know, A, you got to go. B, when you get there, it's going to go, it's going to go badly. So Paul is walking into what he expects to be his death. He's expecting to die. And he's heading back down. So he's going to travel southeast. He's up, he's up in Asia Minor. And he's going to travel southeast by ship and by land. And he's going to make his way back. And he's passing by the city of Ephesus where God's done a mighty work. And he actually, as they're, they're sailing along, he's like, I can't stop there. Because if I stop there, I'm going to get hung up. There's too many. Have you ever like stopped in a town where you used to live, and you can't just get out of town quick? You got to go and stop and see everybody. It's like that, right? He can't just stop at Ephesus for like a day and be like, "Hey guys, I'm here. I'm leaving. By the way, I'm probably going to die in Jerusalem." Like it's not. <laughs> there's no like. This isn't a pop in, right? Like this is a. This is. This would be like he'd be there for months, and so he sails right on by. And he goes about 60 miles south, and he gets to the city of Miletus, and then he calls for just the elders. He's like, I can't handle all y'all. You got, just calls the elders, and they come and meet him there, and he's going to give them his final goodbye. But it's not just a goodbye. He is telling them, this is how I want you to minister to people. And I'm telling you, when I read this, I dug into this as a a 20-year-old kid. I was like, okay, this is it. This is the thing. This is the thing that I'm supposed to be doing with my life. This is the thing that I'm trying to do with my life. I'm still trying to do this thing. And Paul doesn't really, he's not really defending his ministry. He's trying to give them a blueprint. He's trying to tell them, this is our big idea for the day. He's trying to tell them that overseeing God's flock is about living like our shepherd did, by teaching, by crying, by giving, and by suffering. And that's it. That's the whole ministry of a shepherd of God, is teaching and crying and giving and suffering. So let's pick it up, verse 15. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know. How I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. When Paul says that he was serving them with tears, he's not saying, I was crying all the time because all the hard things that happened to me. 
And we'll lay out, because he's going to talk about how much he cried. And everybody's going to cry a lot in this passage. So if you're not comfortable with crying, it's going to be a hard morning for you. It's really clear, Paul lays it out from the start, that crying, tears, is a huge part of his ministry. It is a central thing that his life was about and he wants their life to be about. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I didn't back down, even though they were at my throat, I didn't back down. I went teaching both publicly, meaning in the open public square, speaking in public about Jesus Christ, but also from house to house. This is really, this is a big thing, and this has been a point of contention I've had with lots of folks. If you don't really understand the history of the church, Believers in the first century, there were not buildings like this, right? The first church buildings don't show up for a couple hundred years. It's not like they were getting together several hundred people every Sunday in big buildings. That's not what was going on. The church lived and existed house to house. So when Paul says, I'm going house to house, he's saying, I'm visiting the homes of all the believers. There is a public component to teaching the word of God. There's being out front in public. And there's also this component that is intimate in which you are in people's homes with the church as it gathers in homes and you're teaching them the word of God there too. Just to answer the criticism, why isn't Sunday morning preaching the centerpiece of our ministry? Which, by the way, we do preach on every Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, like It's not like we don't do it, but it's not the centerpiece of our ministry, because teaching is, and teaching is more than just what happens one hour a week on Sunday morning. And I hope you all have seen that and know that. I hope when you think of Bobby and Andrew, and I hope when you think of me, you can think of all the times and places and contexts in which we teach. Because it's not just about one hour on Sunday morning. We live seven days a week. And we are trying to teach and be active in teaching all week long. He continues, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, compelled, forced, pushed on by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Man, you talk about like a prayer, you're like, God, I really need some comfort. Spirit, will you comfort me? Afflictions and hardships await you. <laughs> Then, he, then Paul moves on. He goes to the next city. Holy Spirit, comfort me. Afflictions and hardships await you. <laughs> right? God is letting him know. It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But I don't account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course, the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus. And what is that? To testify to the gospel, the good news of the grace of God. We are trying to preach the grace of God to you all the time. He's good. He loves you. He forgives you. You're not bound up by all the laws, all the rules. 
He loves you. He forgives you. There's peace. There's freedom. There's joy. The good news of the grace of God that comes through the blood of Jesus. And now behold, I know that none of you, none among, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. This is it. This is the last thing he's going to say to them. The most important thing. I'm real into last words. These are his last words to them. This is the thing he wants them to know. By the way, boys, if you've forgotten everything else I've told you, remember this. I taught. I cried. I gave. I suffered. And you all should do the same thing. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Nobody's blood's on my hands. I told you all how to be saved. I told you all of the good news of Jesus. I told everybody I could find the good news of Jesus. Nobody's blood's on my hands. And then he gives them this command. And this ripped me open when I was, I mean, I'm I'm just a 20-something kid. I read this and I rip, this just rips me open because this is like he's talking right to us. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. How precious is the church of God? How precious is it? It is so precious that it was obtained with his own blood. God shed his own blood to obtain the church It's precious, so take care of it. Paul says, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And watch this. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples away after them. It is real easy to constantly look out there out in the world to all of the problems and all of the lies and be like, oh, there's some bad people out there. And there are. But Paul says, fierce wolves will come in among you and from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. And this has weighed heavy on my heart for a long time now because a lot of the serious damage being done to the health of the church in this country at this time is coming from inside. The call is coming from inside the house, right? That's what they always say in the horror movie, and it's always really scary because it's really scary. The call is coming from inside the house. Fierce wolves arise up among us. And the craziest, most destructive things I've seen recently have been all from people saying that they were Christians. They've been from false teachers, false prophets, from people standing up preaching false gospels. This is way more common. I am not worried about what's going on out there. But what goes on in here scares me. (laughs) Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. There it is again. He's crying. If you think doing the ministry of the kingdom isn't going to result in you crying, I got I got some verses to show you. There's a lot of crying involved. There are a lot of tears. 
And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who sanctified. So in other words, Paul's saying, I'm trusting you to God. I can't, I can't help you anymore. I'm moving on. This is probably the end for me, but I trust you to God. He's going to keep you. You're going to get your inheritance. He's going to give the inheritance to everybody. I trust God with you. Y'all don't belong to me. Elders in Ephesus, church in Ephesus, y'all aren't mine, you're God's. So I can give you back to God and trust God with you because he's the one that does the work. Then he goes on. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities the way another verse put, version puts it, I worked hard with my own hands. I worked hard with my own hands to minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In other words, Paul did not just pay his own way. He was paying other people's way too. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said... It is more blessed to give than to receive. Overseeing God's flock is about living like Jesus lived, by teaching, by crying, by giving, by suffering. This is it. There are all sorts of traditions, and there's all sorts of reasons why People might stand up and wear a tie or big robes on Sunday. I'm not, even, I'm not even dogging that. There's all kinds of important cultural reasons. There's lots of reasons why, especially, uh, especially in the African-American church, where uh, pastors needed to carry a certain kind of weight in the community because they were constantly on the front lines of trying to protect the flock of God against outside forces that look down on them, I am not disparaging the way anybody else does anything. But when I say uh, I'm going to wear a jersey on Sunday morning, it's for things like it's authentic to me, it's just who I am, it's how I dress. But it's also because I am trying to communicate something about who I am, about where I stand in the middle of everybody else. Uh, my, my buddy Marcelo in Argentina would always refer to a certain kind of guy as saying, that guy is muy de corbata, which means corbata is like a necktie. He'd be like, that guy's, really, that guy's a necktie guy. <laughs> He's muy de corbata. And I would always think about that. And I always, always think, am I going to be a pastor who's a professional, like a doctor or a lawyer, or am I a plumber? Am I uh, a garbage man? <laughs> Am I uh, a landscaper? These are the kinds of things that I would think about. Paul says, I coveted no one's gold, silver, or apparel. It's more blessed to give than receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of everyone. Oh, there it is again. There's a lot of crying in this passage. Once he was done crying with them, they all got down. He prays. He cries. They cry more. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Overseeing God's flock is about living like our shepherd did, 
by teaching, by crying, by giving, and by suffering. So I want to lay out some pretty clear applications this morning. I'm not going to take a lot of time doing this because it's pretty self-evident. I think this passage cuts me open every time I read it. Um, It's very central to, to my life. I want to encourage all of you for just the rest of your life, definitely during your time here at Selma Northwest, but for the rest of your life, God's going to move you guys in all kinds of different places. I hope suffering and pain doesn't await you in every city you visit, but I, I'm, I, I can't speak for what the Spirit's going to tell you. But you guys are likely, everybody's going to move on to different places. You're going to have different pastors throughout your life. This is how you should evaluate the people who are serving you. Have they taught you the whole counsel of God's word? Do they speak publicly? Are they speaking house to house? Do they speak with tears? Are they speaking to you day and night? Are they suffering trials? Are they speaking to people of different backgrounds, as Paul said, both to the Jews and to the, to the Greeks? Are they helping the weak and giving to those in need? Do they work hard? That's it. Those are the standards that Paul says you should be living by. These are the things that Jesus did. These are the things that Paul did. These are the things that Paul told the elders in Ephesus that they should do. Day and night, with tears, every place you go, the whole counsel of God. When you go and evaluate people, when you think, hey, is this a church? Are these people I can trust? Is this a place where I'm going to entrust my soul? Ask yourselves these questions. Turn back to Acts 20 and just say, does what they're doing line up with this? And I hope for us the answer is yes. I hope so. And if it's not, y'all are very, very welcome to come and tell me. But I hope there's people in this room, and I feel confident there are, that can testify that we have spoken publicly. We have spoken house to house. I know. If anybody says I haven't cried, then y'all... Just don't bear false witness. (laughs) And I can tell you, it's been day and night, too. The number of nighttime phone calls we get. There have been trials. We have tried to speak to people of different backgrounds. I think plenty of people can testify to our generosity and are willing to help those in need. I hope you all think we work hard. Our authority, this is the second thing, and it's important. Our authority... And not just mine and Bobby's and Andrew's, but all of your guys' authority as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Our authority is derived from God's word. Not from positions or degrees or clothing or robes or titles or anointings. It comes from God's word. Whatever authority I have in your life as one of your pastors comes from me preaching God's word. And if I'm speaking God's word to you, it's God's word that's binding you with that authority. I can't make you do anything, guys. That's one of the secrets. I don't know if you all have noticed. Bobby and Andrew and I talk about this all the time. We can't make people do things. We really can't. I can't force you to do anything. All we can do is keep preaching God's word to you and hold you guys to that. Which is the same thing, by the way, that you have to hold each other to. It's the same thing that you have to hold us to. We're all holding each other to that exact same standard. We are holding each other accountable to God's word, not to a position, not to a degree, not to clothing. 
Third application, the danger to the church is from within every bit as much, if not more, than from without. I mentioned this before. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things. Be judicious about what you are taking in online. Do not accept people's word just because they call themselves apostle or prophet or reverend or pastor. Authority comes from God's word. And if someone has one of those honorifics, they got one of those titles and they are speaking from God's word and you are reading God's word, comparing what they're saying to God's word, you say, this lines up, then yes and amen, do what the word says. But if they speak and they start prophesying things that have already not come true, if they're telling you lies, they're false prophet, don't believe them. They're dangerous. They are dangerous. We are no safer to the right than we are to the left. We are not safe just because someone comes at us and says, oh yeah, I'm a believer too. Here's what we can say. We go back to God's word. We hold, we test all the spirits, everything everybody comes and says to us. We take it back to God's word and we compare it and we be diligent. There's just as much danger from within the church as there is from without. And I'm not, I mean, you guys know me. I'm not like Mr. Scaredy Pants all the time. I'm not like running around afraid of everything. But I am unnerved unnerved by the amount of false teaching that I keep seeing. It's, it's, it's disturbing me. The number of family and friends, folks that I love, folks that I've gone to church with, who are posting insane commentary by, by people who are whacked out, not speaking the truth, not testifying about Jesus, but trying to use some kind of veneer of the church or cultural Christianity or other things to convince us to go the wrong way. Be wary. Be on your guard. But mostly just keep reading the word of God. Keep reading the word of God. And then when people come to you, you'll know whether it's true or not. And if you don't know, then start asking. And together, let's dive into the word of God and let's test what's being said. But let's not just be credulous just because somebody comes at us. Number four, I, I haven't directly addressed a lot of the pain and trauma this week. Um, there are things in my own life that happened that were traumatic. and uh, Chris talked about um, the tragedies. It gets hard because we keep having these things, you know. I want to remind you guys, in light of this passage, a couple of truths. And these are important, and I hope they give us strength. I hope they give us hope. We are not going to fix the world That's not what's going to happen. Jesus says there's going to be terrible times in the last days. It's going to keep getting worse. He has to come back and solve it. It's not going to get better. Now, that doesn't mean that five minutes from now he's going to come back. And, you know, I'm not making any kind of prophetic statement about the end of the world right now. I just know that the general trajectory of history is not good, it's bad. Things don't keep progressing and getting better until we all live in Star Trek. It keeps getting worse until Jesus comes back. It really does. We're not going to fix things. Teenagers, when, you, when I was, when I was in, uh, going to youth conferences and when I was in youth group, when I was a kid, they would tell us, like, this will be the generation that changes the world. It's not true. <laughs> You're not the generation that's going to change the world. I love you guys, and if anybody could do it, you could do it, but it ain't going to happen. 
It's not because you're not special. It's not because you don't have the Holy Spirit. My generation didn't change the world. Generation before that didn't change the world. Or if we did, it just got worse. This is the way these things go. And I don't want that to be a discouragement to any of you. Paul lays out really clearly what our job is. We plead day and night with tears because times are bad. We try to be innocent of the blood of anyone by constantly sharing the good news of the grace of God that we live in joy while the rest of the world lives in darkness. There's no bright day dawning for everybody. It's just more storm clouds, but we live in hope. We live in expectant faith because we've received the grace of Jesus Christ through his blood. Amen? Don't get a hero complex. There's no, heroism. There's no heroism in this. There's no like, I'm going to preach the message that's going to transform everyone. No, it's like you're going to cry a lot. You're going to cry a lot. No one saves anyone, guys. Jesus saves people. We don't save people. No one saves anyone. Jesus saves people. We don't save people. And this is true of all kinds of ministries. We preach and encourage and love and hold up so many people that are doing such amazing work. This is true of our doctors. This is true of our teachers. This is true of our foster parents. This is true of those of us that are doing ministry. It's, you're not going to save anybody. We don't embrace fostering because we think we're going to just save all these kids. I love you guys that are doing just incredibly hard work and you're going to pour your hearts out and God will transform some lives. I definitely believe that. But we know how this works. There's more losses than wins. There are in ministry. I've, 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 I've lost more than I've kept. <laughs> I wish that wasn't true. But that's why we're pleading day and night with tears because we know the stakes and I don't want that to be discouraging. I'm not trying to say, hey, don't, don't pick up and serve. I want to be real with you because I don't want to give you false hope. I don't want to give you false idealism about what serving in God's church is like. If you are a teacher, you are going to spend your life teaching people either God's word, whether you're teaching, whether you're teaching children in our public schools, whatever you're teaching, you're going to have plenty of people that don't hear, won't listen, don't want to learn, and I'm sorry. It doesn't mean you shouldn't teach. It doesn't mean you shouldn't teach. If you're a doctor, you're going to lose patience. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be trying to save some. We can't get into this hero complex that it's all going to go away. Paul says, the Spirit told me in every city I went, bad times are coming. Last one. This is for all of us. Overseeing God's flock is about living like our shepherd did by teaching, by crying, by giving, and by suffering. So here's my application. How about we do those things? Right? Like pretty simple. We can all do those things. Those are not just the responsibility. There's nothing on that list that is the unique responsibility of myself, of Bobby, or of Andrew. You can all be teaching and reading God's word. You should all be crying with one another. <laughs> you should be pleading with each other. We should all be giving to help the weak, right? It is more blessed to give than receive. That is not something that Jesus just said to pastors. He said to everybody. And it's something that our church has excelled in and been generous at. And that's wonderful. And suffering. We've 
talked about it enough. I don't need to ask you guys to suffer more. That's already been happening. But I say this with encouragement to you, that Paul, when it came to what he thought was going to be the end of his life, this is what he, Paul, was asking of everybody. This is what he wanted everybody to do, to know. He's like, this is how I lived. This is how I want to live. This is how Bobby wants to live. This is how Andrew wants to live. This is how I see you guys living. And so when we have weeks like this, where it just seems like the world is absolutely on fire and it's crazy out there, we say, "Uh uh-huh, that's why Jesus needed to come. Because if this world could be fixed, we wouldn't need him. If we could fix this world, we wouldn't need him. We come to our time of communion to remember that. This is how we deal with the hard weeks, guys. This is it. This is all we got. We keep coming back to that grace of Jesus, that he saves us, that he redeems us, that he's been merciful to us. People are dying left and right, but he's been merciful to us, and we keep desperately sharing that mercy with people because we want them to experience what we've experienced but we know we can't save people. It's totally up to him. We celebrate blood in his broken body. And we know that he says, pick up your cross. And he says, follow me. Listen, guys, only a fool asks to be crucified. Crucifixion is horrible. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, gave himself for me. When we sing worship songs, when we um, look at crosses of gold, when we look at verses on the wall, it's real easy to get, you know, super emotional, be like, oh, Jesus, bring the crucifixion. Crucifixion's horrible. We remind ourselves each week, crucifixion's horrible. Some of you are living through crucifixion right now, and you know it's horrible. We do it to get the strength to keep doing it. We do it to ask the Spirit to give us the strength to endure it. Because we want to trade our life for his. We want to live like he lived. So take the bread and uh, dip it in your cup. It's the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Jesus, Lord, we love you. We celebrate your body, your blood, your grace. Help us to cry and teach. Help us to give. Help us to suffer. Let your kingdom come, Lord, because this one's about had it. We love you, Jesus. Amen.